Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies in the second round of the 1995 amateur draft. In 1998, while playing for the scranton Wilkesbury Red Barons, he was named the International League Rookie of the Year. September 8th of the same year, he made his major league debut as a pinch hitter, hitting a home run off of Mel Rojas of the New York Mets. He went on to have a 12-year major league career with the Phillies, Tampa Bay Devil Rays, St. Louis Cardinals, New York Mets, Washington Nationals, and Los Angeles Dodgers. He was known to be one of the best hitter, pinch hitters in the game. He served as a color color analyst for the Philadelphia Phillies radio broadcast during the 2014 season. And just last month, the New York Mets announced that he would serve as a hitting coach of the Brooklyn Cyclones. It is a thrill to welcome Marlon Anderson to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Marlon. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's absolutely our pleasure. You know, you attended Prattville High School from 1988 to 1992, where you lettered in football and baseball. Your baseball coach, Roger Lambert, is somewhat of a legend in Alabama. He was inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame in 2011. I think one of my favorite quotes about him is that he always put the kids at top, he coached with a lot of class, and his team always played with class. What was the biggest thing you learned from Coach Lambert? Oh, that, for me, that's easy. It's just respect the game, play the game hard, and enjoy playing baseball. Uh, he, he was instrumental in me getting my scholarship to go to the University of South Alabama, which was big for me because that opened up the doors for me to be able to get drafted. Uh, I was uh, uh, All-American in college my junior year, got drafted in the second round and all. But he was the guy that <clears throat> just instilled in me in playing the game hard. He, you know, practiced the right way, played the game the right way respect the game. Uh, he came along my sophomore year of high school and was just big and just me being able to go out there and be myself. You know, you mentioned the scholarship, and that's huge, and that also put uh, your high school on the map because, you know, not many Division One scholarships were given out of Prattville, no. and uh, you're going to a school where 60% of the athletes getting scholarships get drafted by a pro team. What's it like the first time going from, you know, Prattville High School, playing on a field there, so the first time you walked out at Eddie Stanky Field? Oh, it was absolutely amazing for me. I love baseball, and that's all I've ever done. And it, for me, the baseball part came easy. You know, uh, you leave, you leave Prattville. I grew up on the old dirt road there, my great grandfather's <laughs> farm, and all. And you know, to get to South Alabama, and now you're out there, and you, you know, you got the fans, you got the students, you got people coming out watching you play. And just for me, it was just, it was easy. I mean, I've always been able to hit throughout my life, and going out there and just hitting baseballs and competing against other teams. That's, I think that was the best attribute that I had was just competing on the baseball field. That was the most fun part for me is just going out there and just trying to beat the other guy and not let him you know, be able to have the upper hand on you. You, you know, after you get drafted, you head to rookie ball in Batavia and then on to the double-A Reading um, Phils, playing under manager Bill Robinson on a team with a, a very good friend of ours, by the way, Matt Giuliani and Scott yeah. Rowland. Uh, you, you continue yeah. up the, the Phillies minor league system. In 1998, while playing for Scranton-Wilkesbury, you're named the International Rookie of the Year. At what point did you realize that, okay, you know, I'm there. I, I'm pretty much, you know, I have what it means, you know, takes to be a major leaguer. Uh, it's funny. Once I got drafted by the Phillies in in ninety in ninety five, uh, I found out very quickly. Like I was kind of the heir apparent at second base if I could go about my business and get get it done on the field. 
So I didn't concentrate. I didn't have to worry about anybody in front of me or worry about things that are going on ahead of me because I knew if I performed, I was going to get an opportunity. Uh, my year in Scranton, uh, actually, a guy, by the, he was up and down in the big leagues by the name of Tony Barron. I remember one night just on the bus as we were riding, going from one city to the next in AAA, and just talking hitting. And, you know, for him, you know, he talked to me about, like, you know, what do they try to do to you? They pitch you away. Like, what have you ever thought about cutting the plate in half and just staying out over the plate? And, you know, I really kind of changed my approach on hitting, changed who I was as a hitter, and I literally started having instant success by not ever swinging at the ball in and always having my fights on the outside part of the plate. And for me, it changed my career. I ended up hitting 306. I had a lot of triples, a lot of home runs, and a lot of doubles, and I had 86 RBIs that year. You know, it was just a complete year of baseball for me, which prepared me for the next level, which was the big leagues, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity next year to go to the big leagues and, and play every day. Well, actually, that same season, September 8th, you're called up in 98. You yep. make your major yep. league debut at the Vet. Manager Terry Francona, then of the Phillies, not of the world champion Cleveland Indians, uh, <laughs> calls on you as a pinch hitter. Walk us through that moment at the vet. And, and, you know, I guess it's a little different as a rookie, you know, getting that first start, being in the lineup, having that, you know, time in the field to kind of take it in, as opposed to being in the dugout, taking it all in, all of a sudden someone says, all right, Rook, grab a bat. Just walk us through that yeah. whole scenario. Well, getting called up that year, I had never seen a baseball game in Philadelphia. I'd never seen, I'd only seen one big league game in my life before getting called up. And being able to get called up and you drove in from Scranton that day and, you know, you pull in and you see the vet and you come in, it's like, this is my place to work now. You go in, you see your name on the locker, you know, you're just trying to get comfortable with everything and, you know, game comes about. Seventh inning, one of the things that I, it's forgettable for a lot of people, but not for me, of course, because it's my first day in the big league, but. It's the same day that Mark McGuire, I think, tired of either broke the, the record. I think he had a 60-second home run on that same night. So it's about the fifth or sixth inning, and they had the TVs in the dugout, and everybody's looking at Mark McGuire hit that home run. So for me, I'm like, you know, I'm looking over, kind of peeking, oh, this, that's nice, that's cool. And when the uh, bullpen coach, I mean, the uh, uh, bench coach came down to tell me I was hitting, first of all, I panicked a little bit, and I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is it. I'm about to step into a big league batter's box, something I've been waiting my whole life for. And I'll never forget walking out of the dugout. You know, you've got a veteran stadium. I think it's 60,000 fans can fit in veteran stadium, 50 or 60,000. And the first thing I noticed when I walked out of the dugout was it was my first time playing in a big league stadium at night. And I was like, these lights are so bright. Like, you can see everything in the big league stadium. And that was kind of amazing for me stepping out of the box. But uh, I remember getting in the box and getting to a two-two count. I stepped out and I told myself, I was like, "Man, I was like, you can't strike out in your first big league at bat." That was pretty much the only thing I was thinking. I was like, "All, all my friends are watching. My mom and dad's here at the games. Like, I can't strike out in my first major league at bat." And I remember something that guys don't do a whole lot of today. I choked up on the bat. I spread out. I kind of tried to get over the plate. I was like, "Okay, just see the ball, hit the ball." And Mel Rojas actually hung a two-two split finger. It didn't dive in the dirt, which I'm thankful for. Left it up, and I was able to, you know, like I say, get the good part of the bat on the ball and hit a home run into our bullpen. And, you know, I remember that day because the, my, one of my first coaches that I had in the minor leagues, he was our bullpen coach at the time in the big leagues. And that home run, he was standing in the bullpen and actually caught that home run and brought me the ball later on that wow. night. But yeah. that was something that was kind of fascinating and fun for me because. He actually, a guy that trained me early in my career in the minor leagues, actually caught the ball in the bullpen when I hit my first home run. So 
very special moment for me and for him, I think. So did you get the silent treatment when you got back to the dugout? Oh, no, everybody's going crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a, lot, a couple friends on the team from before, and just everybody really went crazy. had a great time. It was my first step back. You know, of course, being a prospect in the organization and all that, really big deal. I, I mean, I, I loved it more than anything. I, I tell people still to this day, I can feel myself floating around the bases <laughs> as I was kind of going around after hitting that home run. Literally, like, not even touching the ground to me, it felt like. You, you didn't style around the bases like uh, Carlos Gomez, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's not in my DNA. <laughs> you, know, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you had the confidence because you were the heir apparent at second base. And, and you're the Phillies starting second base from 99, 2001, 2002 under both Terry Francona and Larry Bower. But the Phillies had a second baseman, then also a top prospect in their farm system. At that point, Triple A, Scranton, Wilkesbury, Red Barons, a guy named. And we don't like to say his name here yeah, in New York, uh, Chase <laughs> Utley. Um, and then you weren't offered a contract by the Phillies despite five pretty consistent years. Were you surprised by that? Oh, yeah, definitely surprised. And, and, and you know, I tell people you, you can't um, pretend like the emotions of the game don't happen to you, whether it's on the field or off the field. Of course, I mean, I was disappointed. I was mad. I was upset. I was, you know, a lot of things at that time. But, again, it was a moment in my life to where I had to choose whether you're going to sulk or you're going to pick yourself off the floor and, and go about your business and, and, and go and play the game and do the things that you've always done in your life. And that was to try to overcome adversity. And for me, at that point, you know, they were telling me that, you know, my game wasn't good enough, my career would be over, and, you know, I, I wasn't going to be a big leaguer anymore. But for me, they were telling me that I had to go out and work harder and get better at what I did. And, you know, I was able to play seven more years in the big league. So, for me... It's a win-win situation for myself because I was able to still overcome and stick around and do the things that they felt like I couldn't do anymore. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Marlon Anderson, the current hitting coach of the Brooklyn Cyclones and, of course, the former New York Met. So as, as things go from there, after you leave the Phillies, you, you go to a couple teams before you get to the Mets, but it starts becoming clear that really one of the things you're really, really good at is pinch hitting. So yeah. how did that how did you feel as you came around? You, you, you wanted to be an everyday player. You used to be an everyday player. Then you were a utility player. What happened in your mind and mindset saying, hey, I think one of the ways I can hang around here is by becoming a really good pinch hitter? Well, first of all, I went to the Cardinals, and um, Tony LaRusso did a great job of putting me into positions to succeed. You know, uh, I was a guy who played second base. Uh, he, that year, I played, I think, second base. You know, our, our second, well, I didn't win the job out of spring training, but I made the team. So when the second baseman went down for a couple of weeks early in the season, I played second base every day for two weeks. Well, he came back. The left fielder went down. I ended up playing left field for two weeks while the left fielder was down. Right fielder went down. I played a few games over in right field, and the right fielder was down. So he was the first one to start bouncing me around, putting me in different positions. But my primary job for him was hitting in the eighth and ninth inning with the game on the line and have an opportunity to affect the game. And I think that was what gave me my drive and my – I learned very early is those were important at bats. They were important to the team. And also it was my way to be able to contribute to the team by being able to show that I could handle a situation. You know, you're facing the closers and uh, set-up and the best pitchers, sometimes the best arms in the bullpen on a nightly basis. But just being able to concentrate and understand that 
I was fighting for one at bat. I was trying to help my team win, whether it's leading off an end and trying to get on to start a rally, or whether it was trying to drive in a guy with somebody in scoring position. Whatever the situation dictated that night for that situation, I tried to concentrate on that. And for me, that made me a better player for my team, which until made me a better pinch hitter. Well, we mentioned you know one of the best when you were with the Cardinals, 2004. You led the league with 17 pinch hits that year. You know, it's interesting because we've spoken to a number of players, and you know. AJ and I are older than you, but going back a long time ago, the Mets had a guy named Jim Beecham who was probably yeah. like a career 204 hitter, but found a role as a pinch hitter was unbelievable. Ed Cranepool rusty. and a very rusty stop, rusty, but a yeah. very good friend of ours as well, Lenny Harris. I mean, you know, yes. he'll, yeah. he'll yeah. tell you right off yeah. the bat all time because all time you know pinch hit, <laughs> hit leader. But um, yeah. you know, how does the mental approach change? How, how do you stay? When you also mentioned, you know, the best setup men, the better middle reliever, the best, you know, closers, you don't know who you're going to be facing. A guy who's starting has the ability to sit down ahead of time and say, all right, I'm going to maybe, if this guy has a decent game, I'm going to get three at-bats against this guy. And, and his, his history against, you know, in the second inning is, you know, slider in, you know, curveball out. You know, he has a, a certain rhythm. You don't know who you're going to face. You don't know what the situation is. How, how does the entire approach change for a guy who is a pinch hitter as opposed to an everyday player? Well, it, to- it changes totally. I mean, for, for me, my biggest thing was research. That's like anything that you do. It's all about the research. And I stayed in the video room. You know, I, I knew the closer because that was going to be the guy in the ninth inning if the other team was ahead. But also those top relievers in the bullpen, I watch video on those guys. And it's research before the series even starts. You know, you're doing that research. You know those guys. If I'm coming down close, and I know we're getting to, you know, we're down by a run or down by two, it's going to be closer. It's something about that guy that I'm trying to pick up, whether he was tipping something at the plate or whether he just he was a guy that released the light his ball's going to sink down in the way. You know, he's a guy that I have some history with, and he's going to throw me a lot of ball-speed pitches early in the bat. Whatever it was that I can find that edge to be able to be prepared in the game, you know, that's what I look for. It wasn't the same thing against every player because I think, you know, the fact that I before I start pinch hitting, you know, I had, you know, probably – 2,000, 2,200 at-bats in the big leagues before I start pinch hitting, which I had pretty good research. I had a pretty good history of, you know, uh, of what teams thought about me, how they tried to pitch me and things like that. So I, I thought that I had upper hand as a pinch hitter because I had so many at-bats and so much research from those at-bats that I've already been able to do. So as you're watching the game, are you staying in the dugout, watching, concentrating the game, or are you going back, taking swings in a cage? Behind the, how often do you go back and sort of loosen up by taking swings? Uh, I, I was a guy. I didn't like taking a lot of swings during the game. Every every so often, I would. You know, I would try to get stretched in the in the fifth or sixth inning. I go in the, in the training room, and I always went when we're in, the, in on defense. I would go into the training room and get stretched or start my process. You know, once we're hitting, uh, hitting, I'm always in the dugout. So once we get three outs, I'll go back there in the sixth inning again. You know, start my process and maybe watch a video if I wasn't sure about a guy. If I wanted to, you know, get a little bit more uh, research done. But a lot of times it was more stretching and being physically ready to go into a game uh, as well as mentally ready. So it was just on a night-and-night basis, things would change. You know, some, some nights it was about stretching, some nights it was about watching video, and every now and then I would sometimes get some soft toss in the cage back, especially in New York. I would go and get some soft toss in the cage sometimes. 
In 2005, you signed with the Mets, where you served as a pinch hitter, batted over 300 in pinch hit situations. One of the all-time great Met highlights involves you, and it occurred during an interleague game with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. June 11, 2005, Mets trailing by a run in the ninth. You come up to pinch hit against, at that time, Angels closer Francisco Rodriguez. Take us through that at bat, and you know maybe one of the, the greatest Met highlights, and tell us where that ranks you know, in your career as far as highlights. Oh, it's definitely one of the better moments in my career. One of the top three for sure. Uh, my first at bat, of course, the home run that we already talked about. Uh, that at bat with the inside the park, and another at bat for the Dodgers that I had later on. Were my probably my top three moments. But uh, in that moment, in that situation, again, you do your research. You know a pitcher. You know what he has. Uh, at that time, K. Rod was you know one of the best closers yeah. in the game. He's a guy that's 95, 96, sometimes 97 with his fastball and had a, a nasty curveball. Uh, for me, in my approach, it's about eliminating pitches. And I was a guy I was comfortable with uh, sitting on certain pitches and not being afraid to not hit the fastball. He was a guy that he, he threw his curveball in big situations. Got two strikes, he threw his curveball. He threw the hanging curveball to get over early in the count. So to me, as a pinch hitter, he was a curveball guy to me as, as my, in my approach. And that whole at bat, I remember sitting curveball the whole at bat, you know. And, and, you know, I don't know the situation. I don't know if I got the 3-2 or 2-2 two, two or whatever. I don't know the count. But I know I was sitting on a curveball the entire at bat because that's the pitch I wanted to hit off of him because if I was able to stay back, I knew I would be able to get the good part of the bat on the ball. And I was leading off the inning, I think. So it was about me trying to get on base. Actually, no, it was two outs. Two outs, yeah. It's two outs, so I had to. Uh, I was. I had to get on, but yeah, I, I wanted to have something that I was able to sit back and not strike out. He struck out a lot of people with his curveball then, but I felt like if I sat back and I was waiting for his curveball, that I knew I was going to get. That I was going to be in a better position to get the good part of the bat of the ball. Yeah, that ball uh, carried away from right. Steve Finley inside right. the right. park home yeah. run to tie up the game. Finley, Finley, Finley kicked it away, yeah. and I ended up having to go around. I think I blew a bubble at second. Second base. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was I pretty amazing. And, right. uh, I slid in, and I, had, I got, I think, like six stitches in my chin <laughs> because uh, Molina kept his helmet, uh, kept his mask on. So when he turned to, to uh, tag me, his helmet hit me in the chin, and I ended up having to get six stitches, and I ended up, you know, with a you know, bum knee and bleeding all over myself. And I was actually on the training room table getting stitches in my face from the doctor when Cliff hit the walk-off home run the next inning. Yeah, It's great video. You see Marlon round yeah. in second, blown a bubble. You see uh, the trainer at that time, uh, Herbst, Bob Her- uh, Herbsey. Yeah, yep, Herbsey. Herbsey, yeah, Herbsey comes out there, so it's pretty wild. After the Mets, you move on to the Nats. Then on August 31st, 2006, you're traded by the Nationals to the Los Angeles Dodgers yep. to help the Dodgers in their playoff pitch. Uh, they basically got you as a pinch hitter, but just like yep. with the Cardinals, all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself as the starting left fielder because yeah. Andre Ethier struggled towards the end of the season. Yep. What was yep. that like, you know, being acquired to be a pinch hitter primarily, and then all of a sudden seeing yourself as a starter in the middle of a playoff push? Well, I was, I was coming over at the time, and, you know, I was, I was in a great run with, uh, with the Nationals. I was feeling good as a hitter. I see uh, good pinch hit, hit numbers that year, and it was an absolute surprise for me to get traded that night. I got the call from uh, – Jim Bowden at about 11.45 on, uh, on August 31st and was like telling me that I was getting traded and it was like you know a whirlwind for me because it, 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 it is very surprising 
to see that I was getting traded, but then to go over there. And I literally went over there and I talked to the manager the first day in. And he was like, hey, he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to try to get you four at-bats every now and then. We're going to, you know, maybe uh, so you can pinch hit, but you're going to be our main pinch hitter off the bench late in the game against righties. And, you know, literally it was uh, Grady Little. And we really talked about it, went through the whole thing. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I was securing my role of, like, you know, pinch hitter and all. Well, about three days in to me being there, Andre Ether, like you said, he was struggling a little bit. Well, he loafed after a ball in left field. And we're in a playoff race. You know, I come over into a playoff race. So some of the veterans went to Grady Little and was like, hey, you know, this is unacceptable. Ether, he's getting tired, but the effort is not there, whatever. We need to, you know, get somebody in there that can play. Like, hey, you know, Marlon plays outfield, you know, get him in there. So literally, it was some of the veteran players pushed to get me a few at bats in left field. And I promise you, the first day I was in there, two hits and a double. The next day, I got a base hit and then a home run, you know, three RBIs. <laughs> and from that point, Grady Little kept putting me in the lineup every single day. And I had the best month of my career. I hit three, 330, I think 375. I think I had seven home runs and like 16, 17 <laughs> RBIs, something like that. And it's like the best month of my life, but it came because of a rookie player who was starting to slump, and the veteran guys went to the manager and was like, we need a veteran guy out there to kind of help us in this playoff push. So I, I love the fact that I was able to be in that situation and go out there and, and have my best game at the time to where I, I was able to perform at such an elite level. You mentioned that Grady said we're going to try to get you four at bat, you know, during the week, but it's best if he gets you five at bats in one game. September eighteenth, <laughs> two thousand six, against the Padres, yeah, a game for yeah. first place. Two weeks left in the regular season. You go yeah. five for five, including two home runs. You mentioned yeah. that you know that's one of your top three moments. The inside the park, your, pin, your your first hit was a pinch hit home run, and that home run, two home runs in that one game. But that second home run had significance in baseball history. Can you yeah. tell our audience what that second home run was? That that second home run, uh, it was Jeff Kent let off the inning. You know, battle, battle, three pitches, four pitches, hit a home run. J.D. Drew's next hitter, after a couple pitches, he hits a home run. So now the uh, Padres uh, pinch hit, I mean, uh, brought in uh, Trevor Hoffman, future Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman. First, first pitch he throws to Russell Martin, hits a home run. So now I'm coming to the plate, and, you know, you got three home runs in a row. You know, nobody's out, so I'm thinking, like, hey, I hit a ball in the gap. Somebody can, you know, get a double. Somebody can move me over. You know, I can score on a, on a sack fly or something to tie the game. Like, you know, we still have a chance. Well, he, throws, he hangs the first pitch changeup, and I was literally trying to hit a double in the gap, thinking double. And I got a good part of the ball, and it jumped out of the ballpark. When we go back to back to back to back home runs, four home runs in a row to tie the game in the ninth inning, that was the first time. I don't know if it's the first time it happened, but one of the few times that it's ever happened in major league history to hit four home runs in the ninth inning, down by four, to be able to tie the game. So for me, one of the great moments. Uh, Throughout my career, the next day, somebody came to me and was like, hey, you know, that bat you used last night and, you know, to hit that home run, like, hey, whenever you break that, we want to get that from you. And I was like, well, you know, what do you want the bat for? Like, well, you know, the Hall of Fame call and they want your bat. And my first thought was the Hall of Fame. I was like, first of all, I don't want a broken bat in the Hall of Fame. Like, I could get another bat. Like, I want you to take this bat. And I did. I gave up my bat. You know, I've actually been able to go up to the Hall of Fame for a couple of events and be able to see my bat in the Dodgers' view as one of the biggest moments in their history. And to see that bat in the Hall of Fame with that history, you know, something that means 
the world to me. I've had people go there and take a picture of it and send me pictures. And, you know, so for, for me, that's, that's one of the greater moments because I got that bat in the Hall of Fame from that moment. That's awesome. And that game, obviously, is won by a walk-off uh, by Nomar Gasser-Para yes. in that game as yeah. well. Uh, you return to the Mets and end your major league career with them. You close out Shea, and you open up City Field. What were those two experiences like for you to be able to close out you know, a stadium that the Mets, it was actually their second home after the Polo Grounds, but... Uh, what was it like to, to close out that stadium that's had such memory, fond memories for a lot of fans and then to be able to be part of the inaugural season at City Field? I, I, I love hitting in Shea. People, some people didn't like Shea. Uh, coming up with the Phillies and you know, playing so many games in Shea Stadium, playing against them with the fans that will be on top of you, you know, in the infield. I, I, I like a lot of things about New York. and I've always talked about the energy of playing in New York City and playing – you know, uh, for the Mets. And that's something that, you know, people always ask, well, what's your favorite place to play? What's, and you always have different places, but I always say the energy of playing in New York City is nothing nothing else like it. And, you know, being able to close that down in, in the ceremony. And the only thing, you know, 2007 and 2008 yeah. not making it to the playoffs those two years, of course, which, we don't want to talk a whole lot about no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> but some sour taste in my mouth. But, you know, again, like I had some great times there, you know, from Willie Randolph, which one of the reasons I came over to the Mets, Omar Minai, who, you know, brought me over and was always great to me, uh, you know, Jerry Manuel, who great friend of mine still to this day. And, you know, just had a lot of great moments, the teammates, the different guys I was able to play with, from the Delgado to Piazza, Cameron, and Deltron, and Wright, and Reyes. And, you know, just the experiences we were able to have there, for me, always meant a lot. And, you know, one of, one of my – things I hated about 2009 is I didn't get to play the whole season there. Right. So at the end of spring training, when they traded for Sheffield, you know, it kind of took up my spot, which I understand, you know, I, Hey, I had no knocks about that. I, you know, I was able to be a part of a team and a part of an organization. And, and you know, even since leaving, you know, they've always been great to me and they've always treated me like family. That's something that I've always respected about the Mets. And you're returning now to the organization as a hitting instructor for the Brooklyn Cyclones. You look at some of your hitting coaches over the years. Hal McRae, Richie Hebner, Greg Gross, Lee Ilya, Mitchell Page, Rick Down, Eddie Murray, Howard Johnson. What are some of the things that you will draw from the experience of those guys to your new jobs? And which one of those coaches had a major impact on your career? Uh, I think who had the biggest impact on my career was Hal McRae. And he, you know, because some of my hitting style, some of the things that I did, you know, it looked a little funny. It was, it, it, people called them flaws. I had little things. But he helped me to connect to and understand what my flaws were. And he also helped me to minimize those flaws and to be able to get the best out of who I was. The drills that I worked on were specifically for me. And I think that's what I learned from him is, like, every hitter is different. You can't teach every hitter the same thing. You have to find what that hitter needs for you to do in order to get the best out of that guy. And that's what Hal McCray was for me. He built my confidence and he loved the game of baseball. We would laugh a lot. And, you know, it's just, I remember that time, you know, being a young player and really not understanding how to be a big leaguer and him really kind of calming me down and giving me the confidence to be able to move forward in my career. So the Cyclones is entry league baseball. It's kids just out of high school, kids just out of college, kids just signed. How different? Is it being a hitting coach, and how much more responsibility do you have as a hitting coach, coaching players at that level than even say AAA? Uh, it is tremendously tough. Uh, I'll tell you that it's one of those things. So, uh, you because baseball is such a mental game, like trying to get guys to understand 
it's not about the hitting part as much as it is about uh, not getting yourself in trouble and getting guys not to swing at the bad pitches. I don't care about swinging at bad pitches. My thing is about being in position to hit the good pitches, the ones that they, the mistakes that they make, being in position to, to be able to hit those pitches. And I think the struggle now at lower levels is being able to explain it. You really have to break it down and make it basic for the guys so it can, it can be as simple as possible. But for me, I feel like that I'm, I'm a simple person in general when it comes to hitting. You know, see it, hit it, you know, hit off of the fastball, but try to stay in a good position to be able to fight and uh, compete against the pitchers. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge. You know, down here in Florida now with, uh, with Extended that's going on and, you know, have some of the guys I'm going to have this summer. And, you know, it's just looking forward to the games because the games is what dictates what you need to work on and what a guy, what adjustments a guy makes. We're practicing a lot. We're playing some interleague games. But when you're playing against other teams in other uniforms, that's where the growth comes because that player gets get to learn against a guy who's competing against him and he's getting a chance to compete against. You know, it's interesting because A.J. mentioned the fact that this is rookie ball, but baseball has evolved so much in the last five to ten years. You know, the, the reliance on the shift, analytics. Swings yeah. now are tailored yeah. to hit home runs and strikeouts don't matter anymore. So how does that change the job of a hitting coach where now – the strikeout in your day, you know, it was always about at least make contact, you know, put the ball in play. Now it's about, you know, you know, the swing and the way, you know, to try and drive the ball out of a stadium. So how does the job of a hitting coach change from the guys that you were taught by? Well, what's, the only thing that's really changed to me is trying to fight against what guys are reading on the Internet, what they're seeing <laughs> on TV and what they're – looking at on a day-to-day basis, no good hitter starts off hitting home runs. They start off hitting doubles, getting base hits, hitting the ball in the gaps, driving the ball. Those doubles turn to home runs. And the hardest job that I'm having with guys is letting them know that those weak pop-ups or almost home runs don't turn into doubles. But doubles eventually turn into home runs if you are consistent with it and you stay in your zone and you hit, get base hits, and drive the ball on a line drive. I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, um, uh, exit velocity, which is great, and launch angle, which is great. But as a young player, you can't create that before you learn to hit. You actually have to learn to hit before you can create that launch angle that is going to allow you to be able to drive the ball out of the ballpark. Again, we're talking to Marlon Anderson, the new hitting coach for the Brooklyn Cyclones. Have you spoken to either Edgardo Alfonso, the manager of the Cyclones, Sandy Alderson, uh, six, better known as Pat Rossler, or Mickey Calloway? Um, as far as is there anything in particular the organization wants you to focus on, or have they basically said, listen, we know that you understand hitting, you know, you do what you think is right, or is there an organizational philosophy at every level? It's not an overall philosophy as far as, you know, you do X, Y, and Z. I think they're looking for my experience to take over to try to help guys to become better hitters. And we spoke, you spoke a little bit earlier about the strikeouts don't matter. I'm totally opposite. I tell guys all the time, like, good hitters don't strike out a lot because strikeouts do matter because guys that hit the ball and put the ball in play and make adjustments, those are the guys that get to the big leagues. You're not going to get to the big leagues. Strikeouts don't matter as much in the big leagues. But in the minor league, swing and misses and chases and swing that ball out of the zone, they count that stuff against you a lot, and you have to be a good hitter in the, in the minor league in order to be able to have the opportunity to be in the big leagues and become more of a power hitter or something like that. So, but I, I don't think it's one philosophy. I, you know, 
I talk, I see Funzie every day because, you know, we're down here with the team and we have the guys. Uh, I saw uh, Sandy during spring training. But there's no one philosophy. Our, our hitting coordinators, they're trying to build on good habits. I think the biggest thing is being in a good hitting position and being able in a position to be able to take a good aggressive cut on strikes in the zone. I think that's the biggest thing. And how we get there, especially with young guys, there's going to be different times, uh, you know, Sometimes you're a psychologist, sometimes you're a psychiatrist, sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're working on things and trying to figure out a way to communicate with guys in a way to where they understand it. And for me as a hitting coach, I try to get, a, get players to feel in the batter's box because when they can feel when they're in the right position, then they can repeat that. But if they're not feeling the, when they're in a good position or bad position, then we're fighting against ourselves. So my thing is more of a feel in the preparation, in the soft toss, and in the cage or off the tee, getting that consistent swing time and time again to be able to build that habit of knowing when I take the right swing and knowing when I take a bad swing. But now you add the pitcher who's always trying to get you out. So now we got to take that good swing that we've been grooming and be on time with a pitcher who's trying to keep us off time. So hitting, the concept of hitting is easy. The actual idea of slowing the game down and having fun and enjoying it and being able to succeed, that's the difficult part. And not letting, you know, the failure, because baseball is a game of failure, you know, let's, let's, when you're at the plate. If you only fail 70% of the time, you'll be able to fly right through the minor leagues, get to the big leagues. And in the big leagues, if you only fail 70% of the time, you'll be a Hall of Famer. So, you know, it's a tough thing to do. We have to realize that and actually be realistic in our expectations, but also give the guys time to learn the game of baseball and make adjustments because it is truly a game of adjustments that you have to continue to make throughout your whole career. I have one special request of you, okay, because this is my pet Anything. peeve. You know, if you can, every guy on that Brooklyn Cyclone team needs to know how to lay down a bunt because when they get to the majors and there's a shift on, someone's got to lay down a bunt. It's just, it just it right. kills me that these guys don't know how to bunt. It just it, it's, you know. I, 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 would, I would tell you I love bunting. I can tell you two days ago, the guys on my team, we, didn't, we weren't playing a game, so in the afternoon I brought them out and we got the uh, pitching machine out and we bunted. I love it. Again, and we talked, it. About, it, we talked about it. We just talked about there's reasons that you bunt. Number one, you bunt when the, when, the, when the shift is on. Number two, you bunt to be able to sometimes see the ball a little bit better. Sometimes when you're hitting, you're not seeing the ball and you can't pick it up. If you will go to the uh, machine and just bunt and see the ball hitting the bat, it actually helps you to, to get back into a groove hitting-wise. So it's many different reasons why you bunt. I mean, one year I had 19 base hit bunts. I pulled from the first to second base. And I would bunt it some down the third base, but it was a part of my game. It's something that I will never get rid of. And guys that can run, I'll always encourage them. And I've started to have the opportunity now to get them out there and have them bunt extra so they can learn how to do it and they can learn how to play the game of baseball the right way. You may not use it every year, every at bat, every you know, month, but there's going to come a time in a game that you're going to need to know how to bunt. Love and I, I, yeah, and I, I think that has to be a part of your game if you're going to play baseball at the top level. All right. Lastly, uh, you know, obviously, when you talked about getting ready for pinch hitting and and all the the studying, you know, I can picture you because of being a student of the game and being ready somewhere down the road being a manager. Is that something that you would like to do down the road? Uh, of course, it is. It is. Uh, even in you know coming over here with the Mets uh, last. December, I was actually I went back to college. I finished my degree in December. 
uh, at the University of South Alabama. So that's something that I was able to accomplish. And coming into the Mets, I ended up coming in over a little late, and I had the opportunity to get back in the organization. But I've spoken to other people in the organization, and they know that that's a goal of mine, is to manage in the minor leagues. And, you know, if all the cards go right at some point, be able to, you know, work my way to, you know, as being a big league manager. I love thinking a game like that. I love the strategy of baseball. I love National League baseball. I think it's, you know, something that's special to be able to manipulate. And, you know, I've, I've had some Hall of Fame managers. I've, you know, played for Terry Francona. I played for Lou Pinella. I played for Tony DeRusa, Willie Randolph. Frank Robinson. You know, <laughs> Frank Robinson. You know, I, I played for some great managers. And I, I think it's something that's always been in my DNA, something that I would love to do. But, you know, again, you know, it takes time and I think getting back into the Mets organization and starting this process, you know, this is uh, square one of an overall plan that I have that one day that, you know, will work out for me to be able to manage down the line. Awesome. Marlon, AJ, I, and Ryan will definitely see you out at, at MCU Park in Brooklyn. We love the field there, love the stadium, love the boardwalk, the, the whole atmosphere there. So we will definitely see you out there. We wish you nothing but the best of luck as the new hitting coach of the Brooklyn Cyclones. And we really appreciate you taking the time out and, and talking baseball with us tonight. And even more so, teaching the Cyclones how to bunt. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Marlon Anderson, the new hitting coach of the Brooklyn Cyclones.